Tomorrow's gonna be a fun day. I have a I have an interview with ABC News about um, the SVB, and then a radio yeah. interview. Um, so I got I got two chances to push uh, to push my propaganda and maybe troll some VCs again and talk about euthanization. Yeah, what's the over under on them cutting your mic? <laughs> <laughs> in in yeah. that, that uh, three second delay dump button and cutting your mic. <laughs> Just bring that bleep back. That's what the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to bleep VCs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so funny he if said you hug. had like he a said hug VCs. <laughs> yeah. Just a nineties radio edit. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> or are you gonna be like uh you're going to be like fucking Bethany Mandel on Brianna Joy Gray show and be asked to define, define venture capitalism. Ed, and you're going to be like, uh, 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 just freezing up and everyone's going to be sharing the clip. Be like, see, he don't know it. He admit it. He admit it. He don't know what VC even is. <laughs> I like that it took her like 12 hours to put something together, just like a tweet. And then people are like, see, she can do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my people, it's really Jonathan Chait. Being like, She's smart. She wrote a book. Yeah. Lots and, of people write books. I'm sure you're going to write a book, man. If you haven't already. I, I was just seeing like, uh, what her follow up, her excuse or whatever was being like, and I caught Brianna on a hot mic saying she hates children and she's an anti breeder. <laughs> and, and that offends me as someone with six children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She was the one who wrote the article "Why You Should Be Friends with a Nazi" or how or how why befriended a Nazi, something along those lines. Fucking pathetic. That's right. That's a claim to fame. I got blocked by her around that time because I was like, "What the f- fuck are you talking about?" Right <laughs> <now?"> <laughs> oh, oh, so she was writing an article about why why people should be friends with you, Ed, because you yeah, you, yeah. you spit <laughs> Nazi rhetoric, according to Mark Andreessen and Benedict <sighs> Evans. Rwandan genocide uh, rhetoric. Yeah, yeah, you are inciting a Rwandan. Rwandan genocide against POC yeah. people of capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people of means. I looked it up, Jason. They actually did. The All In podcast did say they were people of means. People of oh, means. No. We did talk about it. We talked about it on a pod a while ago. They have affluenza. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> you did too, because that's the sort of thing you put in the memory hole. You don't try to remember that. <laughs> that's right. For for sanity's sake. I was telling Ed that I saw some founder, someone who I follow on Twitter for some reason saying uh, like independently and not even involved, not even an all in guy or anything. Somebody was just like, is, is it safe to unlock my account? I hear that people want me euthanized. (laughs) (laughs) No, just, just you buddy. Just you. (laughs) Standing outside of all their houses with a sign, Reed Keynes. There's the ex-Uber worker being like, honest to God, hammer and sickle communist are out here calling for purges of the tech sector. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize it was in response to your uh, to your yeah. slight article at first. Oh. And I was like, these people are fucking losing their minds. And I was like, oh, it's Ed. Ed. For the, <laughs> for the first few hours, they were committed to not linking to it. And then they just really couldn't help themselves. <laughs> Yeah, so funny. Gave you the best publicity they probably could. <laughs> they drove so much traffic to that article. <laughs> oh, Bro, yeah. you're, you're like tweet, like not only your tweet, you did like a long thread and you did such good numbers on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it did. I did troll them a little bit and I did. And I was also funny looking at it, seeing where like, 
you know, there was a part of the thread that did about as well as the original thread. And that was because it didn't have the word euthanizer parasites in it. It just had exactly what I said at the beginning. And, and so people could, yeah, <laughs> they could retweet that. People could retweet that and feel comfortable about just it. different, so, different tiers. of. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. The original tweet calling them parasites and calling for their euthanasia is good. Cause it's a complete split. Like it's either VCs losing their minds about it or it's the real heads like us being like, yes, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, then, and then yeah you go down like four tweets down the thread and that was the one that blew up where all the normies were like okay this is the safe one <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man they were so excited though for something like anything that they could just feasibly kind of configure to make themselves look good like ooh, 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 look somebody <laughs> said euthanasia like ooh, <laughs> finally like something someone's being meaner than <laughs> i feel or i hope that for at least some of them it backfired because they ended up kind of being hysterical about it because some of them would be like, um, not quoting the article, but then being like, everyone wants to kill us. And everyone's like, no one wants to do that. And then some of them would share the article and they'd be like, it doesn't say that in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one read the article. Is yeah, the thing. Well, everyone, <laughs> no one who was a VC read it. Yeah. I was honestly so taken aback at the reaction to mm-hmm. your article. Like I had no idea euthanasia, like the word euthanasia. I mean, so honestly stupid for them to either willfully or ignorantly not understand the reference to an extremely famous essay by like one of the most influential economists to uh, ever live. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I was so taken aback at the way that euthanasia was just this like Manchurian candidate trigger word for them that just, it was, it was the thing that they went into absolute hysterics over it. Well, Ed, you laid the, you laid the bait, dude. Like you I laid did. the bait on their ass and they <laughs> fucking fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. Yeah. I mean, you must've known that you knew what you were doing a little bit. There. <laughs> I did I, a little bit. I knew, I knew there would be some anger. Um, but I was hoping then people would get mad about it and then be like, why do you say this? And then I should say, oh, well, funny you ask. There's this whole other discussion, this really nor- like liberal, regular, normal, liberal economist who wanted to save capitalism had. Well, a problem we have in our economy, which is that some people have so much fucking capital that they don't do anything other than just like gamble with it. Or translated into political power. Sound familiar, guys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the terrible thing is, is that most, they, they don't even, euthanasia is like the nicest. Euthanasia literally means like painless mercy killing of a patient suffering from a terminal disease, right? Like, man, that's the, that's such a nice way to go out. We're it's saving them from their money. on morphine, you know? <laughs> We're saving them from their money. That's really... <laughs> what, isn't that nicer than the pitchforks? Yeah, coming, that is, you know? exactly, right? Pay like, they're all out here being like, sow. this is going to be a, a holocaust, it's going to be a purge, it's going to be a Maoist-style mass killing of the landlords and stuff. It's like, no, man, it's just like an OD on morphine. You're going to go out yeah, I'm and going bliss. in the countryside <laughs> telling people to build pig iron farms uh, <laughs> and giving them rocks. <laughs> you think like 
all that money means that your skin's thicker, that you can just sit in your like little castle mm-hmm. and let, let everybody like say all the shit that they say. And it just like sloths all off of you, like rain on a fucking windshield with rain X, but instead they absorb every bit of it, internalize it. And they're like, these people fucking hate us. Well, yeah, because you have fucking money. You're not doing anything with it, but fucking gambling with it. We live in a society that's crumbling. You have billions of dollars and you're shouting on Twitter at the government to give you your money back. Go fuck yourself. I did mention this in the group chat, but we've been having this bit that started as a, as a mistake. And now it's just a bit where we say Jason's last name incorrectly. It's, it's Calicanus, but we just say Kalanakis <laughs> now. And Ed, Ed unknowingly and unwittingly wrote Kalanakis in the Slate article and it's still there. So now it's, now our bit mispronunciation is canonized in, in yeah. the Slate. I really, I just say Galanakis and I heard it in my head and I was like, oh, that's how you spell that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also how you know they never read it because if Jason had seen that, he would have, he would have like said something and made a statement. There is a typo in your article and it uh, it completely undermines your entire point. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Because no, it, Jeremy, it's the it, it's the exact opposite. Like the more power these guys want, the more sort of uh, untouchability. The the more that they just want every single word that they say to be handed down and received as like it, it, it works in reverse. It's really it's really fascinating. The skin that that membrane becomes more and more porous and more easily instigated. Yeah. It's 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 so wild to me. Because you're absolutely right. Like. These guys don't. They, they 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 could just spend the weekend just kind of you know on their podcast playing poker or whatever they're doing. But instead, it has to be this performative tantrum. Uh, and this is like this is when the stakes are high. They're doing this all the time mm-hmm. when the stakes are far less high. It. I mean, it shows how how weak they are, right? Like like their idea. Like they they have no hardship. Uh, they have no. You know, they don't. If they want something, they get it, right? They're not denied anything in life, and it makes you weak, honestly. And it's also the irony that these are the same people that go on and on about like masculinity and being alpha and having like you know, a gorilla mindset and shit like that. And they are the weakest, most fucking effete, you know, anemic motherfuckers alive. It's so funny. I mean, I think it was, was it, was it, was it Tom Perkins from, from Kleiner Perkins who like eight years ago, he compared people criticizing him for being rich to crystal knocked. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're doing that already. There already, there's already, there was already like a what in there a fucking op-ed in one of the big papers about a leftist crystal knock or some shit like that from one of these fuckers. What? Well, that's they're so poised, and I want to talk about this on the pod too. They're so like they're so coiled up, and because I think they've internalized all of this critique, they know to some extent how unethical a lot of the stuff that they're funding is. They know how reviled they are, at least in certain corners. So like they have this defense mechanism. They have to get out front of everything. And that's why like when, when Ed throws them a little bit of red meat, they just unleash the catapult. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they, they want to be simultaneously power, like powerful masters of the universe, makers of the future. Well, also being like, you know, marginalized, oppressed, like small beans, you know, whatever 
benefits them at that time uh, is is what it's it's purely cynical, right? Like like they want to. You know, I was looking up uh, the you know because 2021 was one of them, one of if not the biggest boom year for VC um, ever. And I was looking up to see just what it exactly was for a, a chapter in my book. That I'm, coincidentally, the chapter on VC and innovation that I'm writing happened while uh, Silicon Valley Bank went under. So I was like, oh, this is great. Um, but I was looking it up. And in 2021, they there was a total of $330 billion of venture capital was invested. Uh, does the world feel $330 billion better off um, in the last two years uh, since that time? Or does it feel even worse? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it really goes to show how little you can get for so much. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. What did they, what were, what was like the price tag of like the most ambitious green new deal? It was like, like it was like that, you know, you could transform the world's energy sector or begin to at least and make some like serious, like, you know, changes that benefit all of humanity on that scale, like really fight the crises we have. Instead, it's like, you know, now we get like two dozen new crypto startups that have already gone belly up, like three dozen video game, like mobile apps that have gone belly up. And, you know, now it's all AI. It's like it, it is I, I would love I would love for somebody to keep uh, like real tabs on the. I mean, you can get pull some of it out of Crunchbase, but it'd be fun to just sort of like categorize and classify what each of these things are doing and what they amount to. And it's just I think you'd be astonished to find I think if we reach a certain Patreon level, we could do that. <laughs> I, I do actually have a Crunchbase subscription, so I uh, through my re, uh, my 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 research project because it's good data. Um, so I, I it, it takes a lot of time, but I do have access to Crunchbase uh, the the Crunchbase database, um, which is very useful for for keeping track of some of this activity and also seeing things that like. You know, I think we're on track to see, even with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and and you know the the way that like mass layoffs are happening, and you know the tech world is meant to be taking a, a haircut and entering into their year of efficiency uh, and so on. Like, I th we're on track to see similar style. Uh, you know, bubbles and generative AI, right? Like, what? There's this company, Mobius AI, founded by three ex Googlers who don't have a product. Right, beyond being like we're going to be a generative AI startup, and and they just got like a hundred million dollars uh, of investment at like a you know multi billion dollar valuation um, because they are from Google and they said the words generative AI. Like that's all it took, right? And like that's where we're we're now in another, you know, just massive fucking bubble where they haven't learned any lessons. Uh, they are, you know, sitting. Uh, you know, I was seeing reports that after uh, crypto collapsed, the VC industry was sitting on anywhere from two hundred and fifty to three hundred billion dollars or, or no million dollars maybe it was billion i'm now forgetting of 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 dry powder right uh, of un of, of of raised but undeployed capital and uh, now they're just going to funnel all of that into you know generative ai bullshit or as you know i i saw there's a comment i was thinking about you know where someone had replied 
uh, to your tweet, Brian, about how this is a shift towards artificial intelligence as a service, or you know, because of uh, OpenAI's decision to, well, you know, one, it's not a nonprofit anymore; it's taking that investment from Microsoft, but also it's no longer having GPT-4 open, or um, it, it, they're not going to have it open, and they're almost certainly going to j- then just like you know start some of the rollouts, this business to business, not unlike what they were already doing with three point five, right? Um, which is like you know the public does not get that. Instead, that's for businesses, and it's supposed to be slightly better than uh, three, which is when instead used for a chatbot that you know helped manufacture consent and gen up you know uh, interest in investors and in the public for experimenting with it getting invested in it imagining alternatives with it and and doing a lot of the work for these people of of coming up with a legitimacy narrative right so you know, with, with generative AI, my concern also is like you're going to start having, uh, for example, GPT-4 looks like it can do some pretty interesting things, you know, in the sense that like, you know, you can, uh, one one interesting little widget I saw someone do was um, they had um, the GPT-4 create an HTML code for them that made a video that would be different every time you visited or change every hour and then you'd press spacebar to take a screenshot and it's like yeah that's interesting um, that it can make the code for you and make it work on itself it's also useless in the sense that like you know what's the what's the actual uh, utility of that but there is a lot of utility in that in the sense that like you just have people kind of freaking out about this new novelty thing that was time intensive but also like it was a time intensive wasteful or useless thing that they were doing that was like a trinket or like a little decoration um, that they felt that they had to do within like a largely wasteful system also it's like yeah these things will probably save time and cut corners but i mean part of the reason they're doing that is because of how much bullshit is also embedded in the entire thing and how much stuff is useless that we are expected to do um to help prop up other industries or to help prop up you know the appearance of being busy or doing work right yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if anything, if we've learned anything in the way that sort of these major tech trends have unfolded over the last 10 or 15 years is that, you know, in different, like the vectors are different, the strategies are different with, uh, you know, with that tweet, I was kind of talking about how, you know, they've really sort of leaned into how scary and powerful it is because that becomes part of the marketing tool is just, Oh, like, you know, we, we, I can't give anyone the, the code to this anymore. It's become too powerful. You know, but you can use it for nine ninety nine, or yeah, you, know, right. you go over to Bing. <laughs> uh, but it almost so it and uh, and you're right, Ed. That's interesting. You said about the way that they're sort of like generating the utility narrative, and that's exactly what's happening. Is when you get enough momentum behind one of these trends, whether that's you know uh, smart tech, as uh, Jathan well knows, or you know big data, or or what or whatever, then you find all all these people at sort of the enterprise and middle management layers like tripping over themselves to like sell this throughout their organization, and that's like how. I think a lot of this is going to be sort of integrated into into corporations and businesses. It's like, hey, we, you know, look, you know, you know how we've been taking forever on this like 
invoicing software. Like we, we got to get the, the chat GPT to like sort of do this for us and selling all of these things that a high percentage of them historically, you can go back and look at the history of automation and the way that these things work and that a high percentage of, of them end up failing. They end up costing more manpower, more man hours than, than just doing it manually. Uh, sometimes they even cause more work because you got to have redirect somebody from within the institution or the organization to come clean up the mess that they're making. And you're going to have all of this AI like crammed into every pore at, and, and it's just going to be kind of a mess. Some of it's going to work. I actually agree with you. And I think some of it could probably do some pretty cool stuff, but this bum rush to do it first. And then also to sort of try to outrun all of sort of on the creative end, uh, all of the, all, all the sort of the creative groups and the protections that sort of are built to sort of administer to some level, how like rules around how much people get paid. And, you know, these things have already been collapsing under the weight of streaming and, and, and so forth. And, you know, they're, they're certainly trying to get out in front of that and, and get it sort of normalized in a, you know, like the Uber playbook. But yeah, I, I, I do think, uh, it's, uh, it, you, you, you're, both, you're both right. Make big, great points that this is just like, it's become, it's already so big. It's, this is going to be the story for the rest of the year. And we're going to be cleaning up the mess for years to come after that. Yeah. That a hundred percent. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I saw your quote tweet of the, of the open AI statement. And the first thing I thought as well is, is that like, I mean, nobody, no Silicon Valley is so extremely good at like shining the flashlight under their own face. Like, looking in the mirror and going boo and then like screaming right and being like scaring themselves into either being like this thing is so powerful that if it got into the wrong hand thank god we are the right hands but if this got into the wrong hands it would be awful or which is the story of silicon valley bank is scaring themselves into a panic, uh, and then and then you know destroying their own like venerable financial institution um, because they put a flashlight under their their face in the group chat and said boo and scared everybody right like a fucking bunch of horses that bolted um, be, because one of them farted like that's you know. <laughs> it I I would kill to have a transcript of that group group chat that you're talking about. There's one call where there was like 140 founders in the same like Zoom call where that it the, that was kind of the root. Someone traced it back. There's a thread on Twitter. You've probably seen it, but where it was just like. <laughs> They just, they all had this Zoom call and then they all like tweeted about it and then they all just sort of, they did, they shot the bed and then that was the end of the, the biggest, the bank named after their region, named after the industry of the future. It, just incredible. <laughs> well, TMK has uh, become an HBO show because we're 20 minutes in to the uh, cold open. I'm going to intro us now and then actually let's talk about, <laughs> and let's talk about Silicon Valley Bank. Hello, comrades. It's episode 241 of This Machine Kills, your premium episode for this week. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. And 
We are very happy to be joined by the man you've been hearing talk for the last 20 minutes, <laughs> Brian Merchant, <laughs> the, uh, the tech columnist at LA at the Los Angeles Times uh, and the author of the forthcoming book, who we'll have back on to talk about it, Blood in the Machine, which is just a fantastic history of the Luddites. Um, having read uh, a, 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 an early copy, it's so fucking good. So, when, so we will have you on to talk about that, Brian. But for now... We are happy to have you on to talk about the uh, to 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 talk about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and also also hold to account Ed for his incitement of violence against <laughs> venture capitalists. <laughs> this has the last twenty minutes have been a warm up for the struggle session to come, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> here we go well it's good to finally be on here guys uh yeah i can't 240 wow i uh, that's that's incredible you guys have been you guys had a good run huh <laughs> don't say it in fast tense <laughs> well after this the vcs are coming for you now. yeah they're gonna, gonna get rid the of us specifically it'll be fun they're going to shut down patreon just to spite you <laughs> they're gonna buy patreon just to shut us down like, new rule, uh, yeah. you can't have a podcast where the producer is the brother of the co-host and the other co-host is black. New rule, <laughs> just testing this out. Hyper, <laughs> hyper specific right there. No, no woke podcast. Yeah, no woke shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go woke, go broke. Our podcast does have the name Kills in the title, which I'm surprised hasn't gotten us yet. <laughs> Uh, no, it does with the with the uh, with tankies who say this machine kills communism. That's the, oh yeah, oh, yeah that's right. right. They think we're actually <laughs> anti left. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I I for one hope the VCs do us like they did Silicon Valley Bank by driving all of their uh, companies and founders to listen to us. Um, do a bank run on TMK, uh, juice our numbers. Oh no, we're collapsing under uh, the weight of all these <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yes, please make me quit my day job. <laughs> um. All right. Well, let's 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 get into it. for for people who listeners who have uh, done the smart thing and not been following the minutia of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the outrage and reaction around it. Um, let's actually talk a little bit about like how this happened, right? So Silicon Valley Bank. You know, uh, uh, an actual venerable financial institution been around since the 80s in Silicon Valley is the place where most uh, the majority of venture capitalists and venture capital backed startups keep their money. Um, and so, you know, it is the it is the bank of Silicon Valley in a quite literal sense. It's also, you know, they it's a weird bank because as which contributed to its downfalls we'll get into but because their customer base is pretty much completely like VCs and startup founders and entrepreneurs um they you know they they have they provide all the banking services you would think of but in, at like kind of really 
beneficial terms and rates and you know they hold the mortgages of all the fancy vineyards and and wineries and and mansions of the vcs um they you know they offer loans uh this is the source of that zero interest rate free credit cheap credit for startups who are able to take out massive loans based on collateral that no normal bank would accept uh, for loans so big. Um, that collateral being uh, the hopes and dreams of venture capitalists, uh, you know, and, and so a really actually crucial in, like financial institution um, for Silicon Valley, which people don't didn't didn't was never really uh, the the focus of any attention um by like nobody ever talked about it it was just kind of this thing that this institution that worked in the background as a kind of core pillar uh, of of the ecosystem of the community whatever um but did so in a way that like never really drew any attention or headlines or anything to itself um, until very recently. Uh, and we, we can get, we can get into that, um, how it happened, but Silicon Valley bank is, is no more. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe we can go through, do a little of the, the, the TikTok in, in journalist terms of like what, like what actually happened and, and when did it happen? Um, like, I don't know, Brian, Brian, do you want to, uh, kick us off a little bit with that. Yeah. So the first thing to know is that, that, yeah, the reason we didn't hear about it is because for the most part and for a long time, it was supposed to be boring. It was like, you know, the VCs would make the big splashy investment. They'd pour the millions, tens of millions, however much into uh, the, 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 the startup. And then the founders would, and sometimes this was stipulated as part of the deal that they would have to do this. They would put their, park their money in, in SVB. Um, and, that started to that that the amount of money that was funneling through, um, and I, I read about this a little bit in, in my last column, really started to, to tick up pretty astronomically as all these things you're talking about. As we this this era of you know of, of super low interest rates for such a long time uh, and free money, basically they just started flooding the zone, and then these now overstuffed sort of startups that the VCs hoped would be the next unicorn company would put, put, put all this money into, into SVB. And when they started doing that at such an astronomical um, uh, rate, I think the, the amount of deposits like doubled and then tripled uh, o over just a few years. So they needed a place to park the money. And since they're a bank and they can't be too risky, uh, you know, before the Fed started hiking interest rates, it seemed like a pretty good bet just to buy boring old government bonds. So that's what they did. They bought like a ton of bonds. And then as the Fed did start hiking rates, uh, apparently, who knows, someone was asleep at the wheel. There's all kinds of things wrong about this bank. It sort of, it, it failed a stress test. They didn't have like a risk officer for the last few months, amazingly enough. And so they didn't do anything as sort of, it, I mean, it, some people say like, well, the Fed caused this by raising the interest rates. Well, the Fed, like really, say what you want about its practices of raising interest rates. It but forecasts what it's going to do, and then it does it. And there's some question about how much or exactly when, but it's not exactly a mystery that, that this was the course of action the Fed was taking. So it doesn't seem like a great excuse uh, 
for for on the behalf of, of SVB. Um, so I, you know, there's all sorts of, of TikTok. So it's, so then the writing's on the wall, basically. Now those since we're we're in this period where interest rates have gone up, all of a sudden, like the money's not so cheap. VCs are sort of tightening their purse strings, right? They're not dumping as much cash into uh, the startup ecosystem. And that basically cuts off the major inflow of new capital into SVB because these startups are also burning through their capital at a really fast rate. So your new, you know, mobile app that's going to solve chat GPT for crypto is, you know, has overhead, uh, you know, you got to hire 50 developers or whatever, and you've burned through, you know, tens of millions of dollars in a couple months, you got to pull more money out. But there's no more coming in, so all of a sudden they face a liquidity crisis. That became clear, uh, you know, to, to different parties over the last few weeks. But it really sort of heated up last week when they realized that they were going to have a liquidity problem. They tried to sell shares of the bank uh, themselves, basically, to raise billions of dollars of capital that they could then, you know, remain liquid. That sale failed, and when word spread that they were in such trouble, uh, it really sort of set off this, uh, it it was, it laid the kindling for, for the run on the banks. And, you know, as you might've seen in the headlines, Peter Thiel was our our friend of the show. Peter Thiel was the, was the first to kind of call up all of his, his founders and say, get your money out of this bank. And when you have an entire, when basically you have a, a relatively small community of people with an exorbitant amount of capital, and you say, you know, to like one tenth of those people, like get your money out of this bank, word spread inter- in- instantly, and then the bank run was on. Yeah, it's 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 just it shows how much disruption is in Peter Till's DNA. He couldn't he couldn't help he had to disrupt. Silicon Valley Bank, right? It was uh, it was an incumbent. It had got it was resting on its laurels, uh, and he needed to to get some some new blood and excitement and new blood uh, and excitement uh, into the into the system. That's right, right? Like he and I mean, and what became clear pretty quickly was that you know there were a number of points where like this whole thing could have been averted. If one would think that these people who have a very vested interest in in this bank remaining solvent, uh, you know, had just had sort of behaved in the interest of their community and not in themselves. And I think like that's a key point. And it really strikes to sort of the ideological nature of Silicon Valley right now, where, you know, it's not really any mystery, but it is still clarifying when it's just the first sign of trouble. It's like, get out of Dodge, like every man for himself, like let's, it's go time. Mm, I know. I think that's a really great point. Cause it does also point to something. I mean, just also by coincidence, right? We had our two part episode talking about uh, venture capitalism, um, that, that dropped last week, uh, talking about the kind of history and mechanics of VC and then the kind of constraints and consequences for innovation that we have when VC is the dominant model. And one of the things there is really kind of debunking 
promoting this idea that they're like these brave risk takers, right? Like in reality, VCs are an extremely risk adverse herd animal, right? Like they move in packs, um, they follow the they follow the leaders as well. So people like Peter Till, people like Mark Andreessen, right? Like Sequoia Capital, right? Like like these really big leaders. Uh, people tend to follow their moves, um, and and like I said, they are very risk adverse. They're play their whole industry is built on playing with other people's money, largely pension funds, right? Like playing with other pension funds um, and then receiving uh, you know twenty percent of the cut if they if they if they make returns. Um, and so it, it's interesting to see how when Silicon Valley Bank was facing some difficulty and and there was actually a really good article in the financial times on that came out february 22nd so two weeks before the bank run um which was talking about that like svb was in a kind of profit squeeze it was facing a little bit of problems you know it had 15 billion dollars of uh, uh or it, you know it had a um some scrutiny over these investments with securities, right? I'll talk a little bit about its balance, its, its weird balance sheet that led to this, but it had unrealized $15 billion loss. Um, its market cap had dropped precipitously. So, you know, it had a peak market cap of $44 billion less than two years ago. So at the height of 2021, when all this money was funneling into the startup system um, and tech invest and VC investment was at an all-time high. Um, and then, you know, it dropped from that $44 billion peak to $17 billion um, at, you know, at the time of this article, you know, three weeks ago. And, you know, so they were facing some problems and the writing was on the wall. But it's interesting to see some of these quotes from Greg Becker, who was uh, SVB's chief executive, their, their CEO, saying, you know, to the Financial Times, quote, this year will be a challenging year for the tech industry. We're really only scratching the surface, right? And then, you know, going on to say things around how, like, you know, it, it's going to be a tough year for the bank, but we are fine. We're in a good position. Um, you know, they, they, or here's a uh, Becker as well saying, um, Quote, we can comfortably say we, SVB, have so much liquidity available to us in case something happens. We think deposits will stabilize, but if not, we can protect ourselves if we need to. So it's interesting to see, and this is like two weeks before the bank run and before it would go into receivership, before it would collapse, before the FDIC would come in, before they would get a bailout. We'll go through all of that, but like, at this, at the heart of it was on one hand, yes, like the 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 absolutely like roller coaster ride of 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 investment uh, and and capital flowing in and out at really rapid and like whiplash paces um, in the startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley, which means that's a lot of capital flowing in and out very quickly uh, into the bank, and they very weirdly and i mean just stupidly right like uh, they in the silicon valley bank had a balance sheet that was the majority of their investments right because i mean a lot for listeners and you know you can't you can't you can't guess what people you can't assume what people know because i saw that a lot of uh um 
you know, uh, VCs like David Sachs were uh, learning for the first time, seemingly, about fractional reserve banking uh, and seemingly learning um, about the simple mechanics of banking and that, like, it's not actually a big mattress where you keep your money under. Uh, banks do stuff with, with the <laughs> deposits that are put into them, right? Like, you know, a normal bank will take those deposits and loan them out to other people for mortgages or businesses or cars, you know, uh, things such as that. And they will do so at a higher interest rate, right? So they make some money off of it. They will also go and invest those deposits into um, low risk, long term uh, things like securities, right? Bonds, treasury bonds, things that you hold to maturity for 10 years and make a small, you know, 2% return on say, but you know, it's, it keeps the money safe and makes it grow at a consistent pace, ideally a pace above inflation, right? Or at least at inflation. Um, and so, you know, this is what a normal bank does. And uh, uh, I saw people like Balaji Srinivasan saying that this is a, a form of fraud, um, that banks are allowed to do this. Uh, and he is one to talk. He's a man who knows a lot about fraud uh, and scams. But uh <laughs> but but the thing that Silicon Valley Bank did very strangely is that whereas a normal bank will have something like a like a quarter right like twenty five percent around there of its uh, uh, assets will be these kind of like fixed rate securities right uh, you know treasury bonds things you know things like that Silicon Valley Bank had over half of their assets were in these fixed rate securities, um, which is already, a, you know, it's, it's a strange balance sheet and it's creating a balance sheet that is highly susceptible to two things, interest rate risk. So when the Fed raised interest rates by, I think, like, a fraction of a percent, right? Like two and a half basis points. So that's point twenty five percent. Yeah, like yeah. you know. But they were so sensitive. Silicon Valley as a whole so sensitive to interest rates, almost like an addiction. And Silicon Valley Bank strangely made themselves even more sensitive to interest rate risk with their investments. And so now all of a sudden, uh, the like the majority of their um, assets had like we're just losing money combined that is one of the things that sparked you know these unrealized losses of like 15 billion dollars um is one thing that sparked uh you know peter till and other people to be like the bank is failing the bank is failing go you'll pull your money out now when you have uh you know, any bank is susceptible to a bank run, but SVB was even more so because now you have all of your money tied up in these hold to maturity fixed rate uh, investments like treasury bonds. Now you need liquidity because people are demanding their money. So you have to start selling those bonds at a loss, right? You have to take the, you have to take the penalty on selling them before they come to maturity. So now you're losing money on like two, two ways, right? From interest rate and penalties. Um, and now hold on top of that, right? That, uh, uh, you know, the FDIC insures deposits up to $250,000 for the vast majority of people in the world. That means your money is insured in whole and completely. You will never have more than $250,000 <laughs> in your account. 
Silicon Valley Bank being a weird bank, um, 97% of its depositors uh, were ex were far were exceeding, often far exceeding the $250,000 FDIC uh, insurance threshold, right? Um, which caused even more people to panic and want to be the first ones in the bank run. So it really was this perfect storm cascading effect, but a but. But in such a way that like, you know, even despite, and you know, I'll throw it over to you, Ed, to talk about this, because you talked about this a, a lot in your Slate article, like despite, you know, people like Jason and, and, and David Sachs and these people like screaming in all caps on Twitter about like contagion and systemic failure throughout the system. Like it is the case that Silicon Valley Bank and Silicon Valley is such a, an anomalous and strange uh, case, like a perfect storm that is not representative at all of the re even like regional banks, right? Like um, not representative at all uh, of, of other institutions. Like this is really something that could have only happened in this way, in, in, you know, in Silicon Valley and with SVB. Um, but Ed, do you want to talk about the, the response um, and and the ensuing uh, bailout and stuff like all of that. There are two questions here, uh, and what happens next? You know, the bank starts to have its run. People try to take out like forty two billion dollars on Thursday night. Friday gets taken over by the FDIC. So the question is, do these people really think that they're not going to get their money back if it's over the two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit? Or do they want to just make sure that they get their money back, right? Be, you know, typically what happens is if you have a bank that collapses, everyone is guaranteed, but uh, up to two hundred fifty thousand. But that's not the end of the story, right? There's still assets that the bank has. So when the FDIC steps in and takes control, they're going to have an auction. They'll either try to find a larger bank to take over the operations. Um, and people can eventually get access to the deposits, or it goes into receivership. You got a certificate, and the certificate pays out dividends for your uninsured deposits over time, and you end up with somewhere around anywhere from eighty to one hundred percent of the money. Right. What we ended up seeing is venture capitalists, um, a lot of them loudly yelling about the need to have a guarantee for total uh, for depositors to be made totally whole. Um, not for investors to be bailed out, as they would qualify as a caveat, but for, for the bank's depositors to be made fully whole. Why? Well, there are a few reasons. One is because during this low interest rate environment, SVB, relying on low interest rate depositors, was trying to get more and more of the deposits even though they of, of the valley, even though they didn't really have anywhere to put them except these treasury bonds and mortgage securities uh, guaranteed by the government. And so what they were doing is they were offering um, exotic services with you know preferential uh, rates to people in the valley. They were offering mortgages at silly rates um, that were essentially borrowing money for free, getting paid to do a mortgage with them. Zuckerberg, yeah. right? Didn't Zuckerberg they? had that with First Republic Bank. Oh, that was with First Republic. Like they all, they gave him a massive mortgage that was like at an interest rate below inflation, right? So they were like actually like paying him to take out money. At that point, you're getting paid to take the money out, right? Um, and it, it'd be impossible to believe that 
Silvergate, I mean, not Silvergate, uh, it'd be impossible to believe that Silicon Valley Bank was not offering similar services because of the role that it played in directly servicing so much more of the ecosystem. There are also a few other arrangements where if you put money with SVB, you weren't allowed to bank with any other um, entity. Um, startups were encouraged to put money with SVB um, by investors or by funds. And investors and funds put money in SVB and used it as their wealth manager and used it for their own mortgages. And, you know, so you end up getting a, a really ridiculous commingling conflict of interest, personal entanglement with people's funds and with their funds' funds and with the funds of their portfolio companies. So when you hear these people saying we need to be made whole, you know, what you should also be hearing and and what the recognition should have been is also these people kind of for the first time realizing that, you know, in normal situations, if a bank or even a regional bank fails and people get dividends over time for uninsured deposits, it is fine because they are diversified and they're over multiple sectors, right? And these people also probably bank with other entities. And so they have ability to get other lines of credit or they have the ability to get loans or they have the ability to have some sort of of uh, safety net that might be able to emerge or some sort of way to mitigate losses as they wait for the rest of the money. But here, people were wrapped up in it immensely, totally, in ways that encouraged these people, I think, also to then kind of greedily say, we want all the money back now. There's also the other level where, because a lot of these funders had their own funds and their funds' funds in, they started doling out, pulling out rhetoric about how they were concerned about the startups. But again, there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical of it. Like these are people who, you know, um, you know, as Brian has talked about, as I talked about, like these are people who have been waging war on workers and who also treat workers like shit and, and don't really have, it seems, any empathy for anyone who is not swimming in as much money as they are let alone some early stage startup that they're invested in as a bet to hedge uh, or as part of their power law investment, right? You know, which is like throwing a hundred companies some a bone or some capital and hoping that maybe three or four of them are the stars, right? So these people are really just concerned because they wanted white glove service. They wanted their money made whole. They wanted to get made, uh, make sure that they got all of their deposits back. They didn't really care about the startups, even though a lot of startups and biotech and climate were invested in this, right? There's a whole other discussion to be made about like what we should make about the fact that those ecosystems had a heavy reliance on this bank for funding, but that ends up being the fact of the matter that even though there were startups, early stage startups, mid stage stage startups that had a lot of money here, the real threat was that venture capitalists stood to lose a lot of money because they had made the decision thinking that interest rates were never going to go back up again and thinking that this wealth generation machine would always keep going to just keep doing decisions that were financially irresponsible and made no sense at all, but were advantageous to them and made a lot of money, right? They're irresponsible if you took an objective look at the economy or maybe thought about it, but not if you were in the middle of a bubble or in the middle of you know a cocaine-fueled party thinking, like, what can I do next? What's the next move from here? I mean, and that's what I mean. What I would really love to do, and I, we, we've made some noise over at the times about about doing that. Like, it's just like it's fo- following this money. I mean, we we talked earlier at the top of the hour uh, about how kind of goofy it was that these VCs spent all a weekend sort of yelling about uh, of how the world was going to collapse. And you know, materially, honestly, like they, you know, they're they're all so rich that like it probably wouldn't have affected them materially, personally, much. 
on the other hand, you know, they no doubt had tons of, you know, money, startups that they'd, that they'd uh, invested in had parked their money there for sure. And I would love to follow like exactly like how many, you know, startups from craft ventures parked their money. You know, that's David Sachs, um, uh, who's been one of the noisiest uh, VC fund, like you had their money tied up in there because if SVB goes bust, then their investments go bad. And at the very least they look bad and that they like their standing in the VC community goes way down. Things become harder for them. So there was a real sort of, uh, you know, they, they did have like sort of a reputational risk. They, they had certainly a monetary risk. Like they, they did, and they're, they're yelling, they are yelling for a reason, but everything you just said is true. Like they also have been trained to believe over the last 15 years that if they do yell about something, they get it. Even if it is billions of dollars, maybe especially if it's billions of dollars. So they, they have this sort of, you know, this, this entitlement creep that has surrounded, you know, every sort of inch of Silicon Valley at this point, like that these, these exceptional geniuses, they're not just the founders, they're the VCs behind the founders. It's every, so they have every indication to believe. And I think before, as the crisis was ongoing, I wondered, uh, sort of aloud on Twitter, I was like, it will be really interesting to see if they, if, if they don't do anything when just about a year ago, Elon Musk is like, I think I'll buy Twitter. I need Twitter. And he snapped his fingers and then boom, he's got 44, billion dollars worth of funding to buy basically a vanity project that everybody knows is underwater uh, to sort of satiate the ego of the richest man in the world who was then the richest man in the world is again now. Um, but here you have like basically a piece of community infrastructure that you actually need to sort of make Silicon Valley work technically, theoretically, that everybody has there as a stake in that, it, that, that, you know, is, is actually, you know, integral and, Instead of devising a plan to like, you know, like, okay, what if we all just sort of like, you know, funded this or got together and as we said again at the top and worked out a way to sort of, you know, like a community based response, they all defaulted to their priors, which is if we yell about this, we will get our way. The government has come through for us when it matters before, you know, when we have, they can make a show about, you know, supporting or opposing Biden or this or that, but they have a long legacy of being sort of just like attached at the hip to the state, whether it's the revolving door of Obama advisors or it's sort of like the, you know, the, the, the teal and masters creatures of the, of the Trump era. It's still part and parcel. They have every reason to believe. And it, maybe it was a bit of a bet that they didn't have to do anything and, 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 and the government would come through and bail them out, essentially. Uh, but I don't know that they even, I think they always just kind of assumed that they would. And they were right. That's exactly what happened for all of the reasons that, 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 that Ed, Ed was talking about. And I really do just think that, you know, whatever happens from here on out, that uh, I'm, thank, I'm thankful that you all are talking about it here. I mean, I would... I'll let you use the words <laughs> to, to, uh, the, that you chose to on Twitter. Uh, that's not, but, but I, I do. I mean, I say in my piece in the times, uh, which was enough to get some founders calling that line of thinking dangerous, that we just have to find ways to restrict these flows of, uh, of capital. VCs just have too much power. If you don't see that now, I don't know that you ever will. Right. You're living in an alternate universe. Uh, 
there, there has to be, I mean, there are great, you guys have talked about some of them on, on the show here. Uh, but there are ways that you can, you know, uh, create alternate I mean, you know, burning it down is one thing, but there's a lot of things that we can do right now to, to change the way that, you know, these, they, as we said at the top, VCs get such preferential treatment. They're used to it. They have for so long. And it's not just the, the, the possibility of seeing crashes like the one we saw over the, over the weekend or, or other sort of like financial instability. I, I think this, the root goes back to the nature of the very tech products that have been funded. They all are imbued with this recklessness, this move fast, break things. And it's been a disaster. We've seen the toxic social media platforms. We've seen the precarious labor structures that have emanated out of the gig economy, thanks to Uber and Lyft pushing all of these these products out the gate. We've seen we've seen the result of this kind of thinking and this strategy of investing, and they're part and parcel of the same of the same phenomenon. Yeah, a hundred percent. And they will so cynically say things like, "Oh, we need to bail out." A- to make payroll, the workers are going to 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 suffer if we don't get a bailout, right? Like in the midst of massive layoffs, and- right? And let's say right now, yeah. But let's say that it does. It sucks for the. It does suck for the the workers. I mean, these are these yes. are guys that are, that you know shouldn't be lumped in with the demonizing. Like what you know, they maybe they have to. Maybe they're doing some not so great stuff. Uh, in, in order to get this funding, but you know, like these guys are like twenty year old, twenty twenty guys in their twenties and thirties going to Silicon Valley because they still, for whatever reason, buy this sort of uh, this dream that is still it's been chipped away at, but it's still intact. You talk to some of these guys, and you know they have a company. This is how they 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 found it, and it would suck for them to be. They'll be fine. They're they're coders and found they're in this ecosystem as you've been talking about. They got the funding in the first place for a reason. There's really no reason to think that they won't get another, but they also need to hire developers and whatever. So yeah, it, nobody, and that's the thing is that nobody was doing that. Not n- nobody, he, nobody here. Nobody. I didn't see anybody going like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Like it guys, this will stick it to you. <laughs> now you can't, now you're going to be out of a job. No, yeah. that's what they wanted to shift the narrative to. It's, it's the VCs acting, the acting recklessly with impunity and in the same way that they have for the last 10 years that, that is very due cause for outrage. I think. That's a hundred percent correct, Brian. And it, it is exact. It is capital doing exactly what it always does, which is using labor as a pawn for its own purposes, right? And here it's just now they're using people's sympathy and concern about the workers as a pawn to get their bailout, to make sure that their uh, their, their mortgages and their uh, vineyards and their um, vanity projects and their pension fund, limited partner, you know, investments and stuff are, yeah. are, are kept yeah. safe. I mean, it is, it, it's, it's, it's all that stuff. It's their standing really, which is, makes it even sadder. It's their, you know, their, I, again, I, I, I would love to be privy to the numbers here and to see, you know, exactly how much was at stake or what the, but you know, it is, it's more, it's, you see what it's become. And I liked how in the last podcast you were really focusing on sort of the social dimensions of, of the VC world and how basically it's, there's been a shift into this is how sort of we are now funding important projects and we're, we are, this is, they are, you know, our, our public work systems uh, for 
I will not say for better or for worse, because it's only for worse. Uh, there's a demonstrable track record there. <laughs> uh, but look at what, the, and look at the, look at these guys. Look what they do. This what the, Look at what they want to do. They want to hang out on Twitter. They want to be right about everything. They want to have their podcast. They want their voices to be heard. These are not guys who, or at least anymore, have like any real stake, even the bare minimum in, you know, developing technologies or ideas that are good good for anyone anymore they are they're a social club in the old school way with uh, with access to just truly unfathomable amounts of wealth and power and we have to listen to them grouse around the clock because of some <laughs> of the products that they've funded that's the yeah, they're, they're a social club who have convinced us all uh, that they're the only gatekeepers uh, and 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 builders of innovation possible, right? Like in thinking through this, and in right, I shared an excerpt of this on Twitter. Um, but in thinking through this, in the the chapter I'm writing for my my new book right now, you know, I was, uh, call you know, calling it. Is calling it innovation realism, right? Kind of riffing on Mark Fisher's idea of capitalist realism, which is exactly that idea that, like, you know, that there is no alternative, right? That, you know, the, this widespread sense, you know, as Mark Fisher uh, defines capitalist realism, right? As, quote, widespread, a widespread sense that not only is capitalism the only viable political and economic system, but also that it is now impossible even to imagine a coherent alternative to it. And I think, you know, innovation realism in my, you know, conception is very similar, right? It's the idea that venture capital, that VC is the only viable way to support innovation and it is impossible to imagine, let alone implement other alternative methods. Um, and, and that's simply not true, but it is the, it, it is true if we, uh, if we look at like our cultural ideas of how innovation happens, if we look at our, you know, the way that government policymakers have seeded so much ground to VC um, and how government itself not only created but now bends over backwards to maintain this industry uh, and help and, and you know protect it from all of its own self-inflicted injuries, socialize all of its risk, and make sure they get all the profits and yeah, the adulation. I mean, and that's it is. It's to the extent that you know, I and I say and ended the, my column this way, where it's like just like it's utopian thinking now to even say like, imagine that like they had to work as real businesses <laughs> where like they had to prove that a product was something that somebody actually wanted and would pay for like, Oh gasp. Like imagine that that's how we build technology and not just this like wild fire hose of capital that people can do whatever they want with. It is, it, it's just, I, I really like that Jathan. I think that's a, that's a great term. Uh, uh, let me know when you publish it. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll write a column about it and take all the credit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's that i know that's what you that's what you call them this too. but it, it's absolutely true i was i got in, i got into a little uh, argument on twitter with a with a with a tech writer who sort of disagreed with my column uh and and i was like well you know don't you and he's like he's like the alternative would be far worse and i said what what's your alternative and I, there, nothing, I don't even think he responded because I don't know if, if the thinking goes that far. This is what you're right. This is what we know. This infrastructure of the innovation comes out of Silicon Valley. It's backed by the venture capitalists. It's created by the founders. And it's something just like they're 
huge streams of money go in and stuff comes out and we're all the better for it. It's really sort of, there's a real dearth of sort of critical thinking that's going into sort of just how the system that delivers the world, its technology products is structured. So I'm glad you're, uh, you're digging into it here. Yeah. I mean, their alternative is literally yeah. no innovation. The, the alternative is you get no technology development, no innovation. And in fact, uh, because of entropy, we all go right. backwards, right? We start uh, de- devolving we into, into primitivism. No That's VC, your alternative. Go back to monkey. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. I mean, you're right. That's why I think it's an apt sort of uh, uh, reference point to the, to the fisher there, because that is that they want you to think that there's no other system that they, that it wouldn't, none of this would work if they didn't get a billion tax breaks and preferential treatment. Uh, every step of the way, uh, so yeah, they're vested in it. They talk about all the good they do for everything, but all they're all they're interested in, in in the long run is making money with it. All that money they could do, they can make a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. But all they're concerned about is their bottom line. And importantly, I don't think they could make a difference. I think the money could make a difference if it were allocated in different ways and deployed by different people for different reasons. Well, well but before yeah, before I go, I do want to say that that there is sort of there's a part in my book where I actually sort of looked at there's some, been some interesting work done around sort of capital formation at the in the industrial revolution and you know the way that it that, that sort of the first tech concerns we would maybe call them now entrepreneurs getting you know machines to do a little sort of bit of crude automation um it, it, it did, you know, they started with, with, with getting loans um, on, on, on a much smaller scale. But from the very beginning, it was still limiting, right? You only a certain kind of person could get the loans. Uh, I, I, I don't really go into this as much as I wish I had time to in, in, in the book. But, you know, if you're a if you're a Irish migrant Uyghur in England, you're not getting a loan to start your, your business. Uh, you're, you know, you're the, the people that are going to get the loans are already people in high standing, people with more capital. So you have sort of the very sort of myth of the entrepreneur sort of begin uh, along some of these narrow you know, parameters, you know, regarding who can and can't get the capital to start sort of a tech company, the very first tech companies. And, you know, even then that was different. Like you still had to sort of prove a business. And I think VC, if you fall, if you chart sort of the evolution of sort of the banking behind tech companies, we've reached an incredible apex where I, I, you know, one would hope someday we make it through all this and we look back and it's just mind blowing to look at the, the sheer amounts of capital that we're just sloshing around through a handful of offices on Sand Hill Road and in a small town called Palo Alto where a handful of guys got to decide what the next thing was going to be that they were going to erect as like monuments to their technological vanity. Uh, it's really an insane sort of moment to be, to, to, to be living through. And, and I absolutely, agree with you both that we got to start finding ways to sort of bring it back down to earth pick it apart yeah to that i i think as well you invoke palo alto i i I now constantly think of something malcolm harris said in his book that like a lot of these masters of the universe these big tech executives these big venture capitalists are guys who just in the 90s happened to create web scrapers at the right time, right place, um, created a web scraper, uh, and now they are the masters of the universe that wield hundreds of billions of dollars of capital flows, right? Because of 
that reason. Like that's all it is. It is. It's it's absolutely true. The, and uh, let's say the counterpoint. So my next column actually is is based on an interview with with Malcolm as well. Uh, and I think in light of how we were talking about all the VCs going nuts on Twitter and being so thin skinned, uh, they uh, there is a real potential for things to get much more critical, much more because everybody forgets. But just fifty years ago, it wasn't just you know, podcasts and mean tweets and like angrily worded Kara Swisher columns. It was actual left movements that were threatening to bomb your house. They bombed Hewlett Packard's house. Like these things can get so much worse. And I think they know that. And I think they're trying to head things off at the pass uh, before, before they do. And uh, clearly not (laughs) advocating any violence, but you can only, you can only engage in this kind of reckless, toxic sort of oppressive behavior for so long before you finally do really kick a hornet's nest euthanasia or fire bombs which way <laughs> western vc <laughs> i can say that because i'm not a columnist at a major newspaper um unlike the venerable brian merchant thank you so much for coming on brian i know you gotta get running um uh we will do all of your plugs for your book, your column, Twitter, everything. But well, uh, thanks so much, guys. It's uh, it's been it's been real good. Good to good to finally be on the show here. Of course, yeah, thanks, thanks for so. coming through. A long time coming. Many more. Yeah, uh, a long time coming. Looking forward to next yeah, time. Thank you, Paris, for letting you uh, come on the show. Brian had to run, but uh, of course, read Brian's columns at the LA Times. Uh, immediately, one of, if not the best, tech columnists in the country now. Um, so, so glad to have him writing regularly at the LA Times. Pre order Brian's book, um, which comes out in September Blood in the Machine The Origins of the Rebellion Against Big Tech. Fantastic history of the Luddites and linking it up to uh, contemporary times. More timely than ever. We'll have Brian on to talk about that when it, you know, closer to release date. Uh, and, and of course, follow Brian on Twitter at uh, BC Merchant. And you know, all, we'll have links to all that in the episode description. But you know, for now, I think, I think we've, we've said what there is to say right now about Silicon Valley Bank. It's still a very much a live, a live event. The FDIC, I think it, it actually shows like how, uh, strange of a circumstance and how kind of weirdly toxic, um, everything is around it right now. But the FDIC has not found a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank as of our recording of this episode, which is very unusual. Because as you laid out, Ed, right? Like usually, you know, this will go go into the FDIC will come in, uh, take over the bank, you know, um, insure the deposits up to $250,000, but then go around, you'll shop it around for a buyer, right? They'll look for some other bank to buy up, uh, the, the, the bank, you know, buy all of its assets, you know, buy everything out of, you know, out of bankruptcy, you know, subsume it into itself to kind of keep it alive, keep its depositors, you know, keep, 
keep them whole. Um, you know, it, it, it was not the case that this was going to be like a, all you get is a check for $250,000, but you know, you're, you lose your tens of millions of dollars in your checking account or whatever, if you're a startup, like it was never going to be that way. But it is interesting that, uh, they have that the Silicon Valley bank has not, they have not found a buyer for it yet. Um, which I think kind of shows as well, like how uninterested people, uh, other institutions are to buy. It. And also the fact that like, uh, Jamie Dimon and, uh, JP Morgan are not going around and buying up failed banks. Um, like they did at the, in the aftermath of the 2008 crash, right? Like, you know, they're not doing what, uh, uh, you know, they're not playing cleanup crew and they have explicitly said, uh, we are not interested in putting an offer uh, on SVB. Um, and, and, and so I think it'll be interesting to see like what actually comes out of this um, as the FDIC tries to uh, sell off SVB either in whole or in pieces. Um yeah, I think their best bet is almost certainly going to be in pieces because, you know, those are some high value assets to have a wealth management service facing Silicon Valley, um, you know, uh, like provide like the wealth management, the private lending, the mortgages. Uh, these are things that, you know, they'll probably buy up. And I, if I remember correctly, uh, they're also going to have some banks buy parts of the portfolio. I think Goldman Sachs is looking at some of the bonds as well. So it'll be interesting to see who buys what, like you said, um, and what gets left out to hang and where and, and what things are going to look like going forward, even though, as we've talked about, there's been a ba- the backstops in effect and these people are getting made whole regardless of the auction. Yeah, I mean, the government pushed through an emergency bailout program. So every, everybody, every, every, all, the, all the small beans in Silicon Valley are fine. Don't worry about them. Don't lose any sleep. They're uh, safe. They, 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 they're safe. They, they'll be, the big government has once again stepped in to tuck them into bed. The adults um, are in the room. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Look, little, little babies shit, shit their bed and cried about it. And uh, mm-hmm. the big nanny state stepped in to clean their nappy and tuck them back mm-hmm. in the clean sheets, you know? <laughs> and now we can all have, and now the party can keep going. That's right. That's right. Nothing will change. I think if anything, it, it just goes to show that uh, Jason should change his last name to Yellen. That's all he did all weekend. <laughs> I do know that uh, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, is going to turn into Palo Alto's finest spirit Halloween store come uh, fall. <laughs> yeah, I have it on good authority here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. We'll revisit this as uh, once there's any new developments of interest. For now, we'll we'll yeah we'll just leave it there. Uh, all right. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, thank you for subscribing. Appreciate your support as always. Uh, and we will catch you next time. Later. Adios.
Yo, 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 yo,